following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please go with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. Now, as you get there, and mainly for uh, anybody who may not know who I am, my name is Luis Castellanos. And uh, this morning, I have the great joy of uh, sharing God's word with you. I've been a member at at CLF for 11 years. I love this church. I love serving you and I love God's word. So it is a joy to be with you this morning. We are in a great text in the book of Genesis. There is so much truth for us to look at. And so I just want to dive right in. So uh, strap on your seatbelts, church, and let's, let's get to work. We've been in this sermon series through the book of Genesis since the beginning of the year. And since then, we've covered a ton of ground. If I were to summarize where we've been um, and then where we are going, I would say that Genesis 1 through 11 have been about God calling creation into existence in that Genesis 12 and then forward will be about God calling his people into covenant relationship. What we've seen in Genesis 1 through 11 is the story of, of the world, of mankind as a whole. But in our text this morning, the Bible is going to make this, this important turn. And today we are going to go from a macro view, 20,000 feet up in the air, and we are going to zoom into the story of a man and a woman, Abram and Sarai. And God promises that from this couple will come a new nation, a new people. And the rest of the Bible story is about this family and their descendants. And my hope, my my goal for this morning is is to simply walk us through the text and then and then show you how the story of Abram ultimately points us to Jesus. And so here is the big idea, and this should be in your bulletin, and this should be on the screen. But here's the big idea. In our text, we will see the covenant of grace set forth in seed form. And what we will find is that through Abram, God reveals his purpose and goal for the universe. God will save his people through Jesus. Now, before we go any further, if you can, let's stand and let's read our text. And again, we are in Genesis 11, verse 27, and we'll read through chapter 12, verse 9. This is the reading of God's word. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, 
his grandson in Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, the oak of Morah. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. It was Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Um, let's pray, you guys. Lord, I thank you for your word. Would you, would you bless the preaching of your word? Would you bless the hearing of your word? Help us to see Christ. Help us to see wonderful things in your word. I am absolutely aware of all my inadequacies. Would you work, Lord? Not me. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me introduce you this morning to a man named Abram. Names in the Bible are important because they tell us a lot about someone's purpose and character. And so here is what Abram's name means. It means exalted father or my father is exalted. Now, God will later change his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, I would argue that of all the people that have ever lived, one of the most important ones is this man right here in our text, Abram. Now, Lawrence Richards said this, and this quote should also be on the screen. Abraham stands as the greatest figure to be found in the ancient world. Three world religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, revere him as the father of their faith. But what makes Abraham important to the Bible student it's not the reverence in which he is held. It is not even the belief that the National Geographic once expressed that Abraham the patriarch conceived of a great and simple idea, the idea of a single almighty God. Abraham's importance is not even found in the fact that he is today a prime model of saving faith. No, the importance of Abraham in Genesis is that through Abraham, God reveals his purpose and goal for the universe. In promises to Abraham, God revealed that he had a plan. So again, this man is very important. 
He will show up here for the first time at the end of Genesis 11, and he will continue as the primary figure till his death in Genesis 25. His name appears more than 300 times in your Bible. He is mentioned in 11 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He is mentioned in all four Gospels and frequently by Jesus. In the great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, that tells us about the great heroes of our faith from the Old Testament, most of those people get one verse. Moses, who is the author of Genesis, gets six verses, and Abraham gets 12. So again, simply to to make a point, Abram is very, very important. Now, let's let's turn to our text, and what we're going to find at the end of Genesis 11 is abramsancestry.com. So look with me at verse 27. In this verse, we are introduced to Abram's family. And the first person that we meet is dad, Terah. And here is what we know about this man, Abram's dad, Terah. In short, Terah was not a godly man. Joshua 24, verse 2 says this, that Terah worshipped other gods, lowercase g. So in other words, and to put it simply, Abram's dad was a pagan. In this verse, we also meet Abram's siblings, Nahor and Haran. Now, Abram's name is listed first here, and so you might think that that means that Abram was the oldest. He was the firstborn, but apparently Abram was the youngest of those three brothers. And the reason he is listed first will not be the last time you see that happening in the book of Genesis, where God has chosen the younger to be the line of promise. And so here you see the election of grace, where, where God takes the initiative and he, and he reaches out and takes one that we might not expect to be the line of blessing, and he makes him, in fact, his choice servant for the work of the Lord. And in verse 28, we find out where Abram was from. Abram is from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, most theologians believe that this will one day become Babylon. In Babylon, the biblical storyline will, will be the, the great enemy of the people of God. Babylon will oppose God and his people at every turn. And so this is what God is going to do. God is going to go over and across enemy lines. And he's going to pick Abram, who's a Babylonian. God is going to sovereignly grab one person, an enemy of God, and God is going to love him and change him and make him a promise. And through him and through his family, God will unfold his his glorious plan to save. Then in verse 29, we meet Abram's wife, Sarai. And you have to notice verse 30. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. The redundancy of verse 30 is on purpose. If Sarai was barren, of course, she could have no children. But but this verse is meant to be painful. This is the quintessential picture of hopelessness. Abram had a godless dad. He was the youngest in the family, not supposed 
to be the chosen one. He lived in a wicked city. He himself was an unbeliever, and his wife was barren. Hopelessness. Now, I say all this to you, not simply to introduce Abram to all of us, but because there is something important for us to learn here that I think will encourage your soul. And that is that in Abram's beginnings, there is great hope for us. Abram does not have the kind of resume that we would all look at and say, yes, that is the man that God is going to choose to accomplish his great work. Abram is just a simple, regular guy with a lot of problems and pain in his life. Not very different than a lot of us in this room. But when God gets involved, that is what makes all the difference. So here's the deal. Church, you don't have to have the world's best parents. You don't have to come from a great family. You don't have to have a special pedigree. You don't have to have a great start. You don't need to have it all together and have all the answers. Things can begin with you and I being a total mess, and then God grabs a hold of you. God grabs a hold of you as a mess, and he is the one who does the good work in your life. And that is the story of Abram. Then finally, in verse 31, we see that Abram and Sarai planted roots and settled in Haran. And so that is abramsancestry.com. Now look with me at chapter 12, and let's look at the call of Abram. So we've, we've met this very important man. Now let's look at his call. It has been well said that Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, is the center point of the promises of the covenant of grace in the history of redemption. Everything before Genesis 12, 1 through 3 in the Bible is, is leading up to it. Everything after Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3 in the Bible is fulfilling it. We have here an, an epitome of the promises of the covenant of grace. Now, the the covenant of grace will indeed be spelled out as we continue our study in Genesis in greater detail. But the covenant of grace is set forth right in these verses in seed form. Now, remember what Peter Gentry said about covenants. Covenants are the backbone of the biblical story. And then Palmer Robertson defines covenant like this. It is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. It is a relationship which is binding. It is a life or death relationship. It is one which comes with mutual blessings and mutual obligations. And here is why covenants are so important. Genesis 1 through 11 is a series of human attempts to deal with the sin problem. People still do that today. How can we solve the sin problem and the effects of the fall apart from God? Is it legislation? Is it medication? Is it power and money and influence? Or is it pleasure? Well, God is going to show up in Genesis 12 with his solution to the sin problem. God shows up and he speaks. God spoke to Abram. Now, Abram did not go to church. Abram did not have a Bible or all the podcasts. He didn't know all that you and I know. 
God simply and sovereignly showed up and God spoke to Abram. And this is great news, church, because God is still speaking to people like Abram. Sinners in terrible places, doing terrible things, worshiping the wrong gods, often ourselves. And you and I, picking up our Bible and reading the word of God, that is how God speaks. And when you and I pick up the scriptures, it is just like that day for Abram when God spoke to him. So God speaks to this man. God does a wonderful miracle, and God speaks to him, and God still speaks to us today. Now, we're going to find in verses 1 through 3 are two commands and five promises, and I'll point these out for us. Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram. Now, we don't know what Abram's doing. He's just there, and God shows up unannounced. God doesn't schedule an appointment. God doesn't get on the Google calendar. God is free. God is sovereign. He does as he pleases, and God knows exactly what he's doing. And the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, go from your country. That is the first command. Leave. Now, there was not a lot of relationship building here. You know, like, hi, I am God. I'm Yahweh. Hope you're enjoying the planet. God's kind of like that one guy who just wants to get the facts and get off the phone. And the guys relate. All God speaks is the command. Leave. Well, leave what? Leave your country. How many of you, church, if God said this to you, you'd be like, no, I'm good. I like where I'm at. I got a house. I got a car. I got a good job. I got my building retirement. I got two weeks paid vacation. I know my country's not perfect, but it's, I mean, it's okay. Then God continues. Leave your kindred and your father's house. So in other words, leave your parents, leave your siblings, leave your extended family, leave your friends, leave everyone that you know and love. In essence, leave your security. And finally, still in verse 1, and then go to the land that I will show you. So that's the first command. Leave. Go. Now, Abram's 75. He's older. And he's about to go on this crazy, wild journey. So this is a lot to ask. God tells him clearly, this is what you're going to give up. And what God doesn't say is, here's where you're going. Now, God does this to us, doesn't he? Can anyone relate? God, what am I supposed to do with X, Y, and Z? And God simply says, trust me. I got you. Now, what was Abram's response? And, and don't forget that Abram was meeting God for the first time right here. How did Abram respond to God's command? In faith. Abram trusted God and he believed him. Simple faith, that was it. And so here's the deal, church. You don't need to know all the things. But one thing you do need to know is that when God speaks, you need to trust him, you need to believe him, and that you need to obey him. Abraham believed, he trusted God, and so he is the prototype for faith. 
Now, now the whole point of this first command is that God was calling Abram to separate himself. This was a call, a command of separation. Now, this call of separation does not mean that Abram is to, to take himself out of this present world, to have no affiliation or association with, with anyone else in the world, to be utterly repulsed by the world, to hate the world, to not have anything to do with it. Oh, no. Because as you will see in a second, the, the next command that God is going to give is going to be what? Abram is to be a blessing to the nations. You'll see that in verse 2 in a moment. So on the one hand, Abram must be separate. And on the other hand, he must be a blessing. And is not that what God calls us to. It's not that precisely what Jesus was saying when he called us to be salt and light. We must be different from the world in order that we might be able to be a blessing to the world. Abram must be separate from the nations in order that he might be a blessing to the nations. Here, God calls Abram to separate himself from his country, from his relations and his father's house in order that he might be a blessing to all the nations. And this is the message for you and for me. As people who follow Jesus, we must distinctively see ourselves as different from the world around us. We must think differently from the world around us. We must have a different worldview and filter and perspective and outlook from the world around us. We must have a different set of priorities. We must have a different set of goals. Our agenda is to be different than the agenda of the world around us. But we do that not so that we can stand over and against the world and feel superior to the world and culture around us or despise the world in the sense of not having any concern for the interests of men and women who are not a part of our faith. No, we are, we are distinctive, we are different in order that you and I might be a blessing. In other words, we must say no to the world in order that we might be able to say yes to the world. We must be different from the world and say no. Your, your perspective, your outlook, the way you do things, the things you value, they're wrong. Again, not so that we feel superior or better, but so that we might be a blessing to the world. For our agenda, as people who follow Jesus, it's not something that we have cooked up or made up but it is something that we have received from the call of God. It is his agenda. It is his priority. It is his goal. It is his worldview. It is his plan. It is his focus. And our desire is to see the world all around as one to him. But we can't do that if we are just like the world. And so all of us in this room are called to separation from the world, and all of us are called to be a blessing to the world around us, from the end of your street to the ends of the earth. And isn't it interesting that Christians have a hard time keeping those two things together? We either do a really good job at separating ourselves from the thought life of the world, so much so that we despise the world around us in this unbiblical sense of that phrase, or, or we so long to draw the world to Christ, and we decide the best way to do so is to compromise. 
and become like the world so that we lose our distinctive saltiness. But Jesus is calling you and me to be both salt and light. He calls us to be distinct and separate from the world around us in order that we might be a blessing to the world. And that is the challenge of the Christian life. And we see it laid forth right here in the story of Abram. Now look with me at the text again. God continues to speak, and in verses 2 through 3, he will say five times, I will. These are the five promises that I mentioned earlier. Now in Genesis 3, when the man and the woman sinned, they said, I, 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 I heard you, I was afraid, I was naked, I hid. But here is the answer for the human sin problem. It is not the eye of the man, and it is not the eye of the woman. We can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. The answer is God saying, I will. So God counteracts the the I dialogue of the man and the woman in sin with with the I dialogue of redemption. So these five I wills are going to be this series of emphatic declarations and promises from God. And the first one is this. You'll see this in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. That's promise number one. Now, Abram could be thinking... I got an old barren wife. We are not most likely to be a great nation. But what you find is that usually God works through impossible circumstances so that it is certain that he was the one who accomplishes his promises and so that he is the one who gets all the glory. Then you see promises two and three. God then says, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And these next two promises are ironic because why did God scatter the people at Babel? They wanted to have a great nation with a great name. But God said, no, you want those things apart from me. You want to move me from the center and you want to move yourself to the center. And that is sin and that is pride and that is wrong. But when he comes to Abram, who's a a Babylonian, he says, I will make you a great nation with a great name. Not you will, but I will. And the question is why? And here's where you find that second command that we just talked about a few moments ago. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation so that you will be a blessing. Then in verse 3, we find promises for in five, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So in other words, here's what God was saying. Abram, follow me, and I will protect you. I'll keep an eye on you. I'll go with you. I'll journey together alongside of you. Verse 3 then finishes with this line. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And this last line in verse 3 is massive. Because here is essentially what God was saying. Abram, from your descendants, from your family line, will come one descendant who will be the blessing of the nations. And who is that church? Jesus. 
As we have studied the book of Genesis, we've heard a few different times, starting in Genesis 3.15, about a promised champion who would one day come and who would begin to make all things right. He is the only one who would and could defeat God's enemy and save God's people. And here he is again. So God speaks. And what is Abram's response? He doesn't argue with God. God, I'm 75. What about my house? What about my car, my job, my retirement, my gym membership? There's none of that. All you see is what? Simple faith and obedience. God says, go, leave. Abram says, yes, Lord. You know, one thing we told our kids since they were babies and we still do was obedience is doing what you are told when you are told with a good attitude. Or we said obedience is immediately, completely with a happy heart. We've said this a billion times. Doesn't always work. But but that is exactly what you see right here. Simple faith and obedience. And look at verse 4 with me. So Abram left. There it is. Obedience. As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his possessions they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Now there is some debate about who these people are that Abram acquired. You can, you can see that right there in the text. Matthew Henry was helpful. He gives two explanations. One explanation is that these, these people that Abram acquired were, were bond servants who worked for him. Now, the second explanation is that these were converts that, that Abram witnessed to and, and persuaded to attend the worship of the true God and to go with them to Canaan. So I want you to Get creative with me and picture the scene like this. God shows up, speaks to Abram, and says, I'm the real God. You've been worshiping false gods, so stop it and follow me. Abram then runs home and says, Sarai, God spoke like the God. He spoke to me. Everyone, God shows up. The God of the universe, the one real God, he spoke to me. And he said that we have to go, so pack it up. We're leaving. They say, where are we going? Abram says, I'm not sure. We're just going to go, so load it up. We're going to go. We're going to follow God. We're going to worship him. We're going to do whatever he says. So Abram it's these followers, these converts. Abram becomes the first great evangelist in the Bible. As soon as he hears from God, he goes and tells somebody. Pagan man, surrounded by godless people in a godless place, doing godless things, and God shows up, speaks to him. He meets God, he runs home, and tells everybody. That's pretty incredible. Now, verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as 
the site of the great tree of Mora at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites lived in the land. Now, this place, Shechem, was this dark, wicked, evil place. And the great tree of Mora was, was the spot, the place where they offered sacrifices to the, the pagan faith false gods. And notice what happens next. Verse 7. The Lord appears to Abram again. God shows up in Shechem. God goes right to the heart of pagan worship, and he speaks to Abram a, a second time. God brings light into the darkness, and as God speaks, he shatters the darkness with one last promise. And here is what God says to Abram. To your offspring, I will give this land. Now, that's the promised land. This, this was the physical location that would become the home for God's people. But, but notice in verse 7, the word offspring or the word seed. Now, that word in our Bibles is written in singular form, not, not plural. And that word offspring or seed is also meant to point us forward to one person, which is who? Jesus. The Apostle Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, wrote this. He said, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So God speaks a second time, and he makes one final promise. And that promise is that one day Jesus would come. And you have to look and marvel at Abram's response. Verse 7. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God speaks. God tells Abram about Jesus. And what does Abram do? He has church. He builds an altar, and he worships God. Now picture again this moment with Abram and the people who are with him. Guys, it happened again. God spoke, and he said that Jesus is coming. So we got to have church. we got to sing. we got to celebrate. we got to pray. They say, okay, man, where? And he says, well, right here in, in Shechem. They respond, well, Abram, this is a wicked, this is a dark, evil, sinful place. And he says, well, guess what, guys? These people around us are just like we were not that long ago. And God is at work in us. Maybe he will be at work in them as well. And this story wraps up. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram gets this promise. He gets the news that Jesus is going to come, and he shows us the appropriate response, the best news in the universe. He believed, he trusted, he obeyed, he followed God, he worshipped. He gathered new converts, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And it is the same with us, church. When we hear God speak through his word, 
We need to believe him. We need to trust him. We need to obey him. We need to follow him. We need to tell others about him. We need to call upon his name, just like Abram. We need to cry out to God, thank God, pray to him, sing to him, raise our hands, raise our voices, give him our treasure, give him our time, give him our give give him ourselves. Abram's very excited. Abram is 75 years old, and his whole life just changed. Why? Because God spoke to him, and God was revealing his glorious plan that Jesus would come. Now, my, my whole goal this morning was to show you how the story of Abram pointed us to Jesus, because Jesus is the better Abram. And there are so many parallels between the two in our text. So let's wrap up with this. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is a descendant of who? Abraham. Abraham's wife, Sarai, was barren and old. Mary, Jesus' mom, was the opposite. A young teenage virgin. But neither woman was supposed to have a baby. But God allowed Sarai to miraculously conceive, and God also allowed Mary to miraculously conceive. God told Abram, my son is coming. He will be born through your family line. At Jesus' baptism, just as God spoke from heaven to Abram, God speaks again and says what? This is my son. He's finally here. Jesus then begins his public ministry. And the first thing that Jesus does is the same thing that Abram did. He got some followers. Jesus calls 12 guys and says, come, follow me, drop your nets, leave behind all that you know and love and trust me. Through the course of his life, Jesus then continues to preach and teach that he is the promised Messiah. He is the promised champion that we've been hearing over and over again through our study in Genesis. In John chapter 8, you can go there now or you can find it later. It's an unbelievable text, but, but the religious leaders come to Jesus and they want to argue with him about who the children of Abraham are. This is a big debate, big fight. The, the promise was given that Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to the nations and have a privileged place with God. And so the religious leaders say, to Jesus, we are the privileged ones because Abraham is our father. Jesus answers them with this ultimate savage move by Jesus. He says, no, Satan is your father. They respond, well, how can that be? The Bible says that all who descend from Abraham are blessed and in relationship with God. And Jesus responds with this, if Abraham was your father, you would act like him. He trusted me, he believed in me, he obeyed me, and you don't. The religious leaders lose it and say, are you saying, Jesus, that you are greater than Abraham? And Jesus replies, yes. Abraham longed for my day. He looked forward to meeting me. They respond, are you claiming to be the God of Abraham? Jesus replies, yes, before Abraham was, I am. 
And so Jesus uses for himself that sacred name for God, Yahweh, that was spoken by God through the burning bush to Moses. The religious leaders lose it. They yell blasphemy. This man says he is God. And that is exactly who Jesus is. God came down and appeared at Shechem, an evil, dark, and wicked place. God came down again as the Lord Jesus and appeared among the sick, wicked sinners of the earth. God called Abram, who was a pagan, to trust him and walk by faith. And Jesus is doing the same thing to this day. He is calling enemies of God to become friends of God. He is calling people to trust in him and walk by faith. The religious leaders said, you cannot be that God. And so they picked up stones to murder him for blasphemy, but Jesus escapes from their midst. Sometime later, and according to God's glorious plan, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and killed, which we will celebrate this truth next week. Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies to deal with the sin problem. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin upon himself, and he died as a substitute to pay the penalty for sin. And then Jesus conquers death, sin, and the grave with his resurrection. And because of this, he gives us and everyone who believes in him gracious forgiveness. And then he walks with us through a life journey of faith, just like God did with Abram. In our text, God promised that one day, Abram and his descendants would receive this great land that would be their home. The book of Hebrews says that Abram was was thinking that the physical land that God promised would be heaven and paradise. And Abram journeyed through the course of his life, longing for that place, but he never got to the promised land. Now you and I, Christian, are promised an even greater land of promise the kingdom of heaven. You and I will journey through the course of our life, never finding that place here on earth, because Jesus said that it is a kingdom not built by human hands, but by God as a gift, just like creation was in the beginning. You and I will inherit that great land of promise, those of us who love and trust in Jesus. The Bible says that in that day, there will be, another book that is open. Not the book of Genesis, but the book of life. And just as the book of Genesis has genealogies, so will the book of life have a genealogy of all the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Not by birth, but by new birth. Because they had faith in Christ, as Abram also believed. The names in that book will be read. Those who have trusted in Christ, those to whom Jesus has been their blessing, and those whom Jesus has called from all the nations of the earth. Jesus has died for them and dealt with their sin. And as a response, their lives were all about faith, belief, obedience, building altars, calling upon the name of God and worshiping him. Do you see how this story is all about Jesus? Our lives, should be all about Jesus. We are an altar. 
We are here this morning to call on the name of the Lord, to believe in him, to trust him, to obey him, to worship him, and to journey with him through life. We are to be separate from the world as commanded so that by God, we can be a blessing to the world all around us. That's God's command for you and me today, Christian. And if you're here in this room and you would not say that you've put your faith and trust in Christ, if you hear his voice this morning, do not harden your heart. Give him your sin. Trust in him, just like Abram, and your life will be transformed. Abram was this simple, humble man in a simple, humble place, and now he is a man that we will know forever as a man of faith. And it all began simply with one day turning from sin, trusting in God, and walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your plan to save your people is glorious. Your plan of redemption is incredible. Your plan is to save people through Jesus. And thank you, God that by grace you've chosen to save us. We don't deserve it. There is nothing that we could have done, earned it, but yet you've chosen to save us, God. That's a response, God, just like Abram, God, help us. Help us to live lives that are all about Jesus. Us to trust in you, us to believe in you, helps to obey you, follow you, walk with you, call upon your name. Us to do those things, God. If there's anybody, God, in this room who may not know you, to draw them to Jesus. Let them see his beauty. Let them see their great need for a great Savior. Would you save them, Lord? Again, thank you for your plan to save us, God. It's incredible. Now we will respond, God, with communion and with song. And you are worthy of all our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.